Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. Wade and I are here in the studio and we're continuing our series, our Winging It series, on the life and thought of Martin Luther. I don't know how many we're into in the teens, maybe even to the 20s, how many episodes we have. We've made it all the way to 1520, so not very far, but that was the purpose of this series to go very, very slowly. Um, We have taken a little bit of a hiatus, probably a week and a half, um, just been kind of busy, but hopefully we can get back on track here. This is going to be our third of um, uh, a section in our series on the major treatises of 1520. We already went through um, an address to the Christian nobility and the Babylonian captivity of the church, and today we're going to get on to the freedom of a Christian. Now, if you're looking into reading uh, uh, Luther's, in a primary source way, the actual uh, text of freedom of the Christian, and you have the Luther's works, Um, You're going to be in volume 31, the American edition. And when you go there, you'll find on page uh, 333, a letter of dedication. And then another one, an open letter to Pope Leo X. Those are historically um, uh, sort of important, I would suppose. But uh, you can skip those right now if you want to get to that. And get to page 343. It'll save you 10 pages. And, um, uh, you know, unless you're really interested into the ins and outs of how Luther uh, writes stuff and does prefaces and dedications, which is always interesting, Um, that'd be fine. But if you want to get to the heart of the matter, you can skip ahead on a lot of these, especially, I think, for the freedom of the Christian. And so the major question that he is going to tackle here with the freedom of the question, uh, freedom of the Christian, is a question that everybody has been thinking about and does think about is how should I live, right? But in the context of how should I live as a Christian, especially when I am been gifted this thing called grace, where my works no longer serve as a merit towards earning God's gift, um, either here on earth or for all eternity. And so dealing with kind of a big ethical question, and he's going to get right into it, and he's going to go right to St. Paul, right? And so uh, this is a a fairly good structured beginning for Martin Luther. Um, He's going to say, put uh, this Pauline thought into two nice uh, lines, which many Lutherans probably even have memorized. A Christian is a perfectly free Lord of all, subject to none. A Christian is a perfectly dutiful servant of all, subject to all. And of course, this is found in uh, many different parts of the Pauline corpus. Um, you can think of Second Corinthians, you can think of Galatians, you can think of Romans, and maybe I'll kick it to you, uh, Wade, right away and say, uh, what, what, connect Paul with Luther. Why is Luther uh, so adamant about this way of thinking about the Christian life? How does that come out from St. Paul's writings? Yeah, I think if we just look at the books that uh, Luther is having contact with early on as he's teaching and studying, um, Genesis and Psalms come to mind, of course. Um, but in the New Testament, uh, two of the more prominent ones, and he's going to return to the one, and I wish he would have returned to the other as well, will be first Galatians. He has his early Galatians commentary and then the greater Galatians commentary that comes later in the 1530s. Um, And then his commentary on Romans. 
And so he's engaging these two books, and he's teaching on these two books. And you can see how when he finds himself in the midst of debates about um, law and gospel, Christian freedom, um, the relationship between law and faith or faith and promise, um, Old Covenant, New Covenant, why those books would resonate with him. And so in many ways you can see that in the freedom of a Christian, um, Galatians especially, but also <coughs> Romans coming through as far as the themes. Now, if you're reading through, you're going to notice he is by no means limited to those books. He's quoting a variety of books, um, in, including Old Testament books, Psalms and Amos, for instance. Um, but he's going to be working his way through the entire Bible. Um, but those themes, this idea of Christian freedom will become particularly important. As uh, If we remember the other two works he's written so far that we've looked at from these treatises on the, um, to, the German nobility of the Christ, or to the Christian nobility of the German nation, uh, in which he's arguing for a sort of German freedom from um, Roman oppression ecclesiastically. He's asking for emergency bishops, princes to set up, step up in that role to protect the church and support gospel preaching. And then the Babylonian captivity in the end is, is calling for liberation, so to speak, from the um, sacramental system of Rome. Now, I'm, I don't mean liberation from the sacraments, baptism, the Lord's Supper, and confession, but um, from the sacramental system of Rome. And so here what he's calling for really is freedom of the individual Christian. And so I think this can be a particularly challenging work to read as Americans because that word freedom or liberty is so loaded for us. Um, and I don't mean that entirely in a bad way or even mostly in a bad way or part, maybe not in a bad way at all. But, you know, we hear freedom and we think especially politic or political or civic freedoms. We think Bill of Rights, <coughs> freedom of speech, freedom of the press, freedom of assembly. Um, and what Luther is really going to have in mind is freedom in my uh, my vertical and my horizontal relationships, right? Um, I am given freedom. The forgiveness of sins is freedom. It's freedom from sin. It's freedom from death. It's freedom from the devil. Luther will go so far at places to say it's freedom from the law insofar as um, I am not now saved by the law, and it's not through keeping the law that my relationship with God is initiated or formed, um, but rather through the gospel. And then I'm now also free to serve my neighbor. Um, I'm free from my neighbor to be for my neighbor, if that makes sense. And so maybe you already mentioned, Mike, and you missed it because I was looking at my notes. Or maybe you already mentioned it and I missed it. Uh, sorry, it's been Johnston House got real yesterday. We put down a, we had kind of been looking for a house, but not too crazy. And all of a sudden, like this was a, a two-day thing. Um, we put an offer down on a house yesterday. And so now we have seven days to get our house ready to show because they can take other offers on this house because of the contingency until we sell ours. And uh, Mike, you've been in my house. Mm -hmm. There's seven people in there. And we've been in there for five years. There's some stuff in there that needs to be moved around. Yeah, to get this house ready to show, and we're going to have to do some painting and cleaning. And so uh, I've been scatterbrained with that. And then it's uh, baseball, softball season for clubs coming in full swing. And I'm president of a softball organization. we got a tournament coming next week that we're hosting. And so life has been crazy. So S Stay tuned to uh, Wade's uh, Facebook uh, feed, and you'll, you'll yeah. hear a lot of frustration. You're going to see a lot, <laughs> yeah. Um, but the... What really encapsulates what Luther's after here, and if you've ever been um, to the Wisconsin Synod Seminary in Mequon, Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary, um, 
And if you're not Wisconsin Synod, it's still worth a tour. It's I mean, a beautiful campus, and there's a lot of history there. Um, library has some good stuff. Um, but on the Luther statue they have there, they have this um, passage on the, uh, what would you call it, the marble base of it, I guess you mm-hmm. would say. <laughs> and it says, a, um, and it's on 344 in Luther's works, American edition. A Christian is a pref- perfectly free lord of all, subject to none. A Christian is a perfectly dutiful servant to all, subject to all. Um, in other words, the Christian gets to live in a world given back to him. Um, we are now freed, f- and really we're freed from religion in the sense of, uh, um, you know, ladder theology. You think of all the ancient religions building these ziggurats or pyramids, right? You're going to kind of climb to God. Um, we're freed from trying to balance the scales for salvation, Um and whenever that's the orientation of faith, well, what do you do with your neighbor? You use your neighbor for your salvation. And then you have misused your neighbor. Right. Because it's and an Mike and I have talked about before how that's really a selfish sanctification because I'm using my neighbor to score points with God. Now that I'm free from that, I am saved. Um, I'm not doing anything to be saved. Now I'm free to serve my neighbor because, you know what, serving my neighbor seems like the right thing to do. Um, and it's good for my neighbor. I can now um, see my neighbor and so he says on that same page, man has a twofold nature, a spiritual and a bodily one. According to the spiritual nature, which men refer to as the soul, he is called a spiritual inner or new man. According to the bodily nature, which men refer to as flesh, he is called a carnal, outward or old man. Now the old man is never going to be free, right? Our sinful nature needs to be bound. It needs to be mortified. Um, it needs to be daily drowned. This is language Luther uses again and again throughout his writings. Um, but the new man is free. The new man is perfect in God's sight. Um, the new man wants to do good work spontaneously. The, the new man even loves the law of the Lord. Um, right? He, he, he wants what God wants. And so this will be very important as we keep in mind Christian freedom too. This is not licentiousness. This is not that the old man is now given free reign. Um, but this is now I'm free to live According to the new person I am in Christ, there has been an eschatological thing that has taken place. Um, I have died. I've been crucified with Christ. I have been buried with him. And the life I now live is hidden in Christ, right? Now Christ is working through me and my neighbor. I said a lot there, Mike. I don't know if I answered your question. Sure, just a couple uh, couple things. Not only is he coming from this, <laughs> the whole scriptures, but particularly uh, uh, St. Paul, um, in First Corinthians and Romans, uh, specifically with that whole Christian is a perfectly free Lord of all subject and non a Christian is a perfectly dutiful servant of all subject to all. Those, those are just um, a, a summary of passages from St. Paul. But in the back of his mind, and he also taught on this, and we've talked about this before, is Aristotle and the specifically Arist- Aristotelian ethics. And we, we've mentioned this before, what's the problem with Aristotle? It's not so much the problem with Aristotle, it's our misuse of Aristotle, our misuse of reason. And so shoehorning uh, scripture, which is revelation from God, into categories um, that are Aristotelian. And we can do that uh, academically, but we can also do that in our regular day life. We take a passage and say, oh, that fits whatever situation I'm in. Um, but but really, I think for Luther... Um, at least in this context, the issue is Aristotle's ethics. Uh, like we said, he had he had lectured on that very early on in his career. And he keeps coming back to this point where Aristotle says, 
in order to be a good virtuous person you practice those virtues it's a very basic way of thinking about it so you want to be a patient person you practice being patient and then you can be declared as patient and that's great advice right if you want to be good at something practice it right in in the realm of our uh life down here on earth when it comes to uh, just kind of civic things, that's probably decent advice. Um, but it's very, very uh, not only difficult, but just absolutely flat out wrong when it comes to our relationship with God, and I would say with our relationship with our neighbors. And so he'll keep going back to the point that um, a good tree is not declared a good tree because it had fruit only a good tree can produce good fruit, right? It's not like the, the corrupt tree um, tries really hard and then produces a good fruit. And then you're like, well, now it's a good tree, right? So, and, and this has to do with you are declared righteous, you are made righteous, you are something else. And you were kind of getting at that point of, well, how do I, how do I live my life if I'm, if, if I'm free? Well, if you are truly free, free from the burden of trying to please God, then your neighbor looks different to you. Your neighbor is not somebody you say, I can do a good work towards so that I become a better person. And, and, and leave God out of, this, uh, of the situation just for a second too. I think very few of us say, oh, I help this little old lady across the street, therefore I get uh, points with God. I, I mean, I think some people think that way. I think that's uh, an unspoken um, uh, basis of how you operate. And certainly it was the case in some of these, as you said, religiosity um, or different religions where there was kind of this, you do good and then God rewards you, or you do half of the work and then God does the other half of the work. I think our bigger struggle is to say, I want to be a good person. I want to be patient. And so I have this plan. And then I have certain situations which always involve neighbors and I say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to work really hard to do this and so that I can be this type of person. And uh, it's really Aristotelian in the end, right? I do this so that I become. Instead of saying, you already are. This is who you are in Christ. And truly being free from that law that we place upon ourselves means that you do these things naturally for the love of your neighbor. Uh, maybe one more thing about the idea of afraid. And may, before that, one thing. If you come to this treatise on the freedom of the Christian and you're, you're expecting Luther to say nothing about good works, you're going to be sorely disappointed because it's actually quite a bit about the Christian life and, and how we do do good works. Um, it's more about um, motivation's the wrong word, you know. I don't like that word motivation. I think you can use it correctly, but this kind of tired uh, uh, logic where God saved you, now in Thanksgiving you do good work. It's just kind of another it's just kind of another law. It's so much better to emphasize this is who you are. And that gets me to that final point about what freedom truly is. We have this concept of freedom that I can do whatever I want, however um, I want as often as I want, and we call it freedom. But if my sinful nature is a slave to sin, as in I, it cannot help but hate God, work against God, sin, even if what I do outwardly looks kind of shiny and nice to the world, um, that means that if I follow that nature, um, I've become a slave to sin. 
I'm a slave to sin no matter what I do. And so to follow my so-called freedom into a, a slavery is not really freedom at all. And we have plenty of, uh, of examples of that in the Bible. Um, I would think um, <clears throat> what comes to mind, first of all, is the Israelites coming out of their freedom um, from Egypt and, it, and almost immediately wanting to go back, right? This is easier. And this is our free choice to go back. Uh, under the situation in Egypt, because at least there we had pots of meat, right? Um, that's not really freedom. That's enslaving yourself back again. And so I think here, it's not a perfect analogy, but I think here the analogy of addiction or the classic analogy of addiction, science about addiction is changing all the time, but the idea that um, uh, somebody who's addicted to whatever drug, alcohol, whatever, says it's my free choice to put this into my body. And we all realize um, that's not really your choice. That's actually um, putting yourself back under slavery. So the I, we got to get away from the idea that I'm free so I can do whatever I want, but rather you're free to be who God made you to be. And that involves this beautiful thing called, called love towards your neighbor. And I think we instinctively understand that as well, too, right? When There are times when we serve our spouses, we serve... Uh, the college here in our situation, our, our, our bosses, when we serve our children and we like doing it, right? We, we, feel, we feel like this is great, not, not in a meritorious way, not a look at me way, but like that was cool. That was great. I'm, I'm glad I did that without any hint of any kind of, um, uh, you know, check mark next to that, that task that we did. And you're kind of free from that. You're free from you're free from your own desires at that moment, but you're also free from trying to make yourself look valuable and just before your family, before the world, or before God, whether you admit it or not. Um, and those, admittedly, those moments are fairly rare for the simultaneously sinner and saint. Um, but when they are, they are a beautiful gift, and you finally get what St. Paul had said and what Luther reiterated, that we are free, slave to no one, and yet we are a servant to all in love. Yeah, and so maybe, um, oh. sorry, I had my thing up because I coughed. Uh, maybe, Mike, uh, if it works, we can run through a few passages. I just had some that, um, that we uh, could maybe look at. Mm -hmm. um, and I'll toss a few out and then see if you have uh, any thoughts on them. <clears throat> he, he says... Uh, on page 346, and I just had typed out some, um, and I've talked about these before. For instance, we talked about these some in our, at the name lectures we did, Mike. Um, he says, one thing and only one thing is necessary for Christian life, righteousness, and freedom. That thing is the, or that one thing is the most holy word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, and so just briefly, where Luther's going to root this freedom, we want to be clear about that. <clears throat> this is freedom that is rooted in the gospel of Christ. Um, this is something that the gospel message does, and what this gospel message does um, is bring righteousness, life, and freedom. Maybe that's um, hitting on an obvious thing, but anything on that, Mike? Yeah, I mean, if you keep going, uh, this idea that um, because I have Christ, and that's what he means by the word, right? He actually right. asks and answers the question, what is the word of God? Well, it's the gospel of God concerning his son who is made flesh. Those things shouldn't be ripped apart, right? And then he connects it to preaching, 
right? This idea of being made righteous, that we are set free. Um, it, it comes through comes through preaching in its different forms. Um, and then Christ then becomes the end of the law, that everyone who has faith may be justified, and that's straight from Romans 10. Um, now, what we don't mean here is that the law is... Uh, has nothing more to say to us of course not it just i'm in a i'm in a different relationship with the law right now my new man is in a different relationship with the law um it is something that i that i do because that's who i am and it's a it's a beautiful thing the law becomes beautiful then instead of this curse um and really in freedom and when we think about freedom and we understand this no matter what kind of freedom you're you're looking at that um, I may be, let's say I'm a rich person, um, the, the rich son of a very dominating father, and I got everything. I mean, I got money, I got privilege, I got everything. But there's a lack of freedom there because I have to do what dad says and he's got his life planned out for me. And maybe I break out on my own and all of a sudden I'm literally poor, right? I don't have any money, I don't have anything. And yet everything looks greener, the grass looks greener. Uh, the sky looks bluer. Everything just seems to just to be different. My motivation to go to work, even if it may be the same exact job, just seems better. I have a new relationship with life. I have a new relationship with my job. I have a new relationship with my with my uh, the people around me. It's something different. And I think in a similar way, when you have that freedom, you may have like everything taken from you. But if you have that freedom in the gospel, everything changes. Everything changes, including what you do in a day-to-day -day life. Um, and those are special moments when you can realize that. Um, maybe the next one then is a little bit longer, Mike, and I can <clears throat> read it first and hopefully read it well. This is on page 348. He says, Now when a man has learned through the commandments to recognize his helplessness and is distressed about how he might satisfy the law, since the law must be fulfilled, so that not a jot or tittle shall be lost, otherwise man will be condemned without hope. Then, being truly humbled and reduced to nothing in his own eyes, he finds in himself nothing whereby he may be justified and saved. Here the second part of Scripture comes to our aid, namely the promises of God which declare the glory of God, uh, saying, If you wish to fulfill the law and not covet, as the law demands, come believe in Christ in whom grace, righteousness, peace, liberty, and all things are promised to you. If you believe, you shall have all things, and this hits on what you are getting at. If you do not believe, you shall lack all things. That which is impossible for you to accomplish by trying to fulfill all the works of the law, many and useless as they are, you will accomplish quickly and easily through faith. God our Father has made all things depend on faith, so that whoever has faith will have everything, and whoever does not have faith will have nothing. For God has consigned all men to disobedience that he may have mercy upon all, as it is stated in Romans 11. Thus the promises of God give what the commandments of God demand and fulfill what the law prescribes, so that all things may be God's alone, both the commandments and the fulfilling of the commandments. He alone commands. He alone fulfills. Therefore the promises of God belong to the New Testament. Indeed, they are the New Testament. <clears throat> and just a couple things that stand out there. Notice the promises of God are the New Testament. He's getting at this is the core content of the New Testament uh, scriptures. This is why Christ came. This is why they exist. But I think something there maybe you can unpack, Mike, too, Mike too is um, 
He says, uh, in, these, in Christ, in whom grace, righteousness, peace, liberty, and all things are promised to you, and you have all things, um, maybe in a moment you can unpack how that ties to some of the work you've done with shalom, and you talk about shalom and what it is to have that wholeness then that comes through faith. But just two quick points. Then notice for Luther then in this, the freedom of the Christian. This is a freedom of faith, the centrality of faith, which he sees as gift. And to this gift of faith, God gives <clears throat> all things. Now, this does not mean we have all things concretely now, right? I'm not perfectly righteous now. I'm simul. I'm a sinner saint. <clears throat> um, I don't have perfect hope now in that uh, as the Christian, sometimes I'll speak as the man in the Gospels did. I do believe, Lord, but help my unbelief. Um, I don't have perfect peace uh, in that I may have times of anxiety still in a fallen world, um, as I am definitely having this week. <clears throat> but the idea that we have all these things, that there's a wholeness that comes with faith. And where does faith come from? Notice here in 1521 and building on his previous works we've looked at, that again and again he's connecting that to promise. This is faith rooted in the promise of God. Where you have a promise of God, there you have all things. But anywhere you want to go with that, Mike, but I thought maybe this might be a nice place. If you wanted to bring in a little bit, you know, he mentions peace there, mm -hmm. that shalom idea. Yeah, just what struck me when you're reading that, too, is he alone commands, he alone fulfills. Um, so to see the command, and we've talked about this a little bit, to see the Ten Commandments as also a gift, right? I, I wouldn't say gospel because that's a mixture of terms, and we want to make sure that we don't confuse people with uh, law and gospel. Um, but just the idea that after I'm free, then the law becomes, it, it is a gift. It does come from God. It says this is, this is how you should live and all the benefits of the law. Um, but but here's, here's, I think, the best part of this gift. And it comes from Ephesians 2, where he's going to say, where St. Paul's going to say that there are good works created in advance for you to do. That God commands that these things that we loosely call love, right? And that can be doing the dishes. It can be um, sacrificing for your country, maybe even with your, with your life. Those things that God's, God rightly commands, he fulfills. He fulfills through us, through, uh, through our various vocations. And it's not perfect, not only not perfect because it, he has to use sinners, right? But also not perfect in the sense that it's not complete. So um, I'm, not, I'm not fully righteous here. I'm not complete. And I don't mean that by, okay, I'm, I'm making my way to be righteous. Like I'm halfway there. Hopefully I'll get there. But I do understand that in, in heaven, I am going to be complete. And that I think ties in with Shalom, the root of Shalom, uh, has a concept of wholeness and uh, not, not maybe not so much complete in the way we look at it in, from an English, uh, like it's a finished product kind of thing, although maybe it is used that way. Uh, shalom is often translated as peace here, and we've mentioned this before, that we shouldn't think about peace like, okay, we're not fighting. I use the example um, that it's peacetime versus wartime, right? Things are the way they're supposed to be. Um, it is whole. It is wholesome. Um, there are, there's a certain amount of prosperity. There's a certain amount of security. There's a certain amount of um, a purpose in, that we have in our lives. And so it has to start with the concept that I'm free from the burden 
of getting myself into heaven or free from the burden of writing my own destiny, free from the burden of writing my own law, free from the burden of trying to make my own truth, that God has given me this law. He is also giving me the gift of the gospels so that when I, when I break the law, I am forgiven. And once I'm free from that burden and I'm free to love, I'm giving something that we don't really talk about enough and that is a purpose and I don't mean in a purpose-driven life kind of way I mean in a vocational way where um, I'm giving I am made God's co-worker in his economy of love with the promise that whatever he commands he fulfills he will get the work done it'll be fine and that's a big that's a big sigh of relief kind of thing. So it starts with the gospel, but it doesn't end there. It is also in my day-to-day life that I have this gospel shalom, this gospel peace, that he's going to get the work done and what a privilege it is to be a part of this. So wait, it's going to be fine, this whole house stuff. It's we'll find out, fine. yeah. Have some shalom. It'll be good. God's working through all of these people like the real estate agent and your children who I assume when they get home today are going to have to clean the house and pack up their crap and stuff like that. Hopefully. They're not perfect, your children. But That's although true. although Maggie's perfect ACT, she's close. I suppose. So, at least in that one aspect. Yeah, but she life. still needs to pack, seriously. <laughs> so uh, it'll get done. So there is a little bit of sense of the work is going to get done that doesn't make me lazy it makes me actually a little bit more motivated although i hate that word to say it's going to be all right keep plugging ahead you're going to be fine now that that's so shallow for us who are living as middle-class americans that's a lot harder for somebody i just read an article from the atlantic about uh, christians in iraq and the plight that they have been going through and i kept thinking about their faith and saying and they must have they must they must have a, a different way of looking at the New Testament than we do. They must really concentrate on the words of persecution. And uh revelation must just have a whole different meaning to them than us. And and it's easy for me to say, Ah, it'll be okay. It's a lot harder for those people and yet that faith, that shalom that starts with the gospel, but then trickles down into every aspect of our life is probably the only thing that keeps them going right now. The um one that I think is helpful for Luther pointing out what happens if we lose focus um, is on 356. Uh, and he says there, From this anyone can clearly see how a Christian is free from all things and over all things, so that he needs no works to make him righteous and save him, since faith alone abundant, abundantly confers all these things. Should he grow so foolish, and I think this is a constant temptation for the Christian, <clears throat> should he grow so foolish, however, as to presume to become righteous, free, saved, and a Christian by means of some good work, he would instantly lose faith and all its benefits. A foolishness aptly illustrated in the fable of the dog who runs along a stream with a piece of meat in his mouth and deceived by the reflection of meat in the water opens his mouth to snap at it and so loses both the meat and the reflection. <clears throat> and uh, Luther loves fables and he uses them throughout and there's some good stuff written on Luther's use of Aesop's fables. But... I think that's just a powerful image that sometimes as Christians we get bored with or even nervous about what we have through faith, right? Sometimes 
um, and, and when we bear the cross and in times of anfechtung, we get nervous about, well, do I really have these things because I don't feel that way, right? And uh, I don't have that joy, 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 joy down in my heart. <laughs> and so we see things in the world that promise um, or at least um, market or claim to offer a path to righteousness and peace and liberty and all these things. <clears throat> and uh, and so as Luther says, like the dog seen its reflection with the piece of meat, let's go of the real thing um, to go after the reflection, to go after um, the not real thing. And I think, you know, Luther here is kind of indicting what had happened uh, in the Roman church over time after the time of the apostles. But I think he is highlighting something that's a very real danger in the Christian life every day of our Christian life and I think uh, has been a real danger through every era of Lutheranism where we have these times where we get panicky where it seems that what we have isn't enough and we have to fall back on something else. Now that could be to get people in the pews and so we fall back on gimmicks. Um, That could be to try to save the culture and so we fall back on uh, the law um, maybe even on natural law um, or Aristotelian philosophy or whatever will work um, to help us in that regard. Uh, it could be in the church. We don't see the church as we want to see it, and we see this after the visitation articles as we talked about in the episode with uh, Dr. Keith, which will be coming out next week, where there's this kind of panic that people in the parishes are sinning and they don't know the faith all that well. And some in the Lutheran camps thought, well, what we need then is law, right? This gospel's not working. And Luther instead is going to say, no, we need catechesis. We need gospel preaching and we need to, to teach people. And so um, I think the parish pastor falls into this sometimes when the parish isn't going as he thinks it, it should and it gets really easy to get on a bully pulpit or to harp on something, Um the congregation members can feel the same way if they think the church isn't going the same way. And so the church needs something new. And what do you do? You look around and see what seems to be working for other things. And we can grow impatient with what we have. And Luther's saying, though, what we have is everything. We have all that stuff Mike was talking about. <clears throat> we have shalom. Um, just where the cross comes in is that in this life we have that through faith. And... Uh, and so that sometimes uh, means uh, you have to depend on God. You have to uh, live as C.S. Lewis says, as his parasites, and and uh, and trust as a as a child does. But any thoughts on that, Mike? Yeah, I think in the concept of speaking to pastors here um, and people who work in the church, uh, very faithful laymen, just hear it all the time, and it just bugs me to no end when. People say, they they kind of say, assume the gospel or will say, yeah, we got the gospel, but now what? And I had somebody say to me, we were complaining about preachers not preaching the gospel and said, I don't know what the deal is. Are they bored with it, right? Are they bored with the gospel that they have to go and just kind of either assume it or just kind of get it out of the way? Or you'll hear a lot, yeah, I've heard about Jesus and, and salvation, but what I really need to know is how to live my life. And, and to be fair, too, sometimes uh, people feel that way and you think, oh, they just got to get the gospel out of the way. But there, you can hear plenty of sermons that kind of just gets the gospel out of the way, mm-hmm. too, to get to what the preacher wants to get yeah. to. And 
my first thing that I would say to that is one: the uh, the gospel assumed is the gospel denied, as we as we have been taught. But also, that person, either the preacher or the listener, has not mined um, mind the treasures of the gospel, and you can tell right away that that person has a different understanding of the gospel than the robust. Uh, understanding of the gospel that certainly Martin Luther had as we read his treatise here. Uh, and part of that is not really understanding the bound will and not understanding how depraved we really are. Um, and so when I look at that person, I I'd now become to see that person as somebody I pity, not in an arrogant way, but they have not gotten there yet where they really, really understand how beautiful this gospel is and how how badly people are hurting. And if they did, they wouldn't say that. They just wouldn't even think it that way. And so, uh, yeah, I, the dog running along the stream with, uh, with a piece of meat, that's us with the gospel. And we see something more. And uh, as we try to attack that something more, uh, more often than we like to admit, uh, what drops out of our mouths is the one thing that we need. And it's going to affect everything, I think, in a very profound way. And, and we have plenty of examples of that in uh, church history, of course. Maybe uh, I don't want to go too yeah. long, Mike, so maybe one more. Sure. Um, Luther then has, uh, and I have this one down, bolded and in italics in my notes, so that's how I knew to look at it as a good one. But on page 371, as he's kind of wrapping up his thought, he says, We conclude, therefore, that a Christian lives not in himself, but in Christ and in his neighbor. Otherwise, he is not a Christian. He lives in Christ. Uh, otherwise, he is not a Christian. He lives in Christ through faith and his neighbor through love. By faith, he is caught up behind himself into God. By love, he descends beneath himself into his neighbor. Yet he always remains in God and in his love. And there I think we see the, the great turning outside of ourselves that happens through faith. Um, vertically, we're turned outside of ourselves to Christ. So the, li the life we now live is hidden with God in Christ. Um, I've been crucified with Christ, and the life I now live, I, I live in him. Um, but then now I am turned out of myself, too, <clears throat> to see my neighbor, not for what my neighbor can do for me, um, but to see my neighbor as Christ sees my neighbor, and then to want to love and serve my neighbor accordingly, not to get sanctification points, not even always necessarily, and people might not like hearing this, but not even always necessarily to make my neighbor a Christian. <clears throat> I think we can fall into that trap sometimes too where individual Christians or the church think we only really do good for people, help people when we can make it Jesus-y in a way that, right, there's a gospel cell. <clears throat> that it's, so that, in other words, service becomes evangelism, if that makes sense. Mike, you can disagree with me if you want. But we're actually set free just to love our neighbor, to love our neighbor. Now, when those opportunities arise, I'm certainly glad to see us take advantage of opportunities to tell people about Jesus. But at the end of the day, my love for my neighbor is a love for my neighbor like Christ has for my neighbor, which is focused entirely in my neighbor and not in something I'm looking to get out of it. Yeah, and you can you see silly debates happening like, okay, so we're going to have a Christian day school, uh, an elementary school, or we're going to have a food bank, or we're going to do this. And then you have some people on one side who say, we only do gospel ministry. We don't want to follow, fall into a social gospel, and that, that's a fair criticism. And they rightly point out to those people, like you're doing a bait-and-switch, right? 
uh, you're doing something nice just so that you can preach the gospel and that and that's a little bit deceiving and then you have people on the other side and say yep that's exactly what we're doing we're doing this just so that we can get to the gospel how about this that it's okay to love your neighbor period and it's okay for the church to love neighbor and do works of charity luther in his writing assumes that he assumes that the church is going to do that now of course there are going to be caveats with that but i i kind of roll my eyes at that 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 those arguments there let me let me read one more passage which kind of sums it up and then and then say one more thing and then you can close it out who then can comprehend the riches and the glory of the christian life it can do all things and has all things and lacks nothing it is lord over sin death and hell which is just such powerful language and yet he continues at the same time it serves ministers to and benefits all men and so it is actually quite lowly right and so we see a little bit of the theology of glory and theology of cross there and though. this is also where freedom comes in though that now my works don't have to be glossy yeah. and so the the church has and the individual christian are you kidding you're king of the world but you're not going to look like it at yeah. all right the first will be which last is and kind last of true first. of this guy named jesus yep and then when i when you think about faith and love uh just something to think about we we constantly are telling ourselves that we love Jesus, like like we're trying to convince ourselves that we love God. Or convince <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, you know, and uh, that's a fine statement that you love Jesus and you love God, and that, that that's great. Um, I think sometimes we flip things around. So we love God, and we often have faith in our neighbor. So our neighbor needs to do something for us. There's human responsibility. Um, we have, uh, we, we, and if they don't fulfill their job, whether it be civically or whatever, uh, that we feel burned, right? Because we've put our trust into our neighbor and maybe, maybe it's helpful once in a while to say, maybe I got things flipped upside down. I'm loving God and trusting in my neighbor and I should be trusting in God and loving my neighbor, yeah. right? We, we do this unconditional love of God, you know, this kind of thing where, I'm never gonna. I'm never gonna be angry at God, and I trust God above all things, and all this stuff. And then you read the Psalms, and you're like, "Man, they're angry at God all the time." So I'm convincing myself that I should love God unconditionally, no matter what He does, right? And then I'm going to try to trust everybody else, uh, trust the government, trust the doctors, trust the politicians, trust all these things, and get angry when America isn't the Christian utopia I was promised it to be. Well, maybe I'm trusting my neighbor when I should be trusting God and I'm loving my God unconditionally when I don't have to and maybe I should be loving my neighbor unconditionally something to think about obviously that can be turned upside down and, and made made uh, wrong but just something to think about I'm putting I'm putting love and faith in the wrong places all right well I don't have a lot more to add to that Mike I think it's a good point and hopefully we gave you a taste for um, the freedom of a Christian I think it's a very worthwhile read out of the three if, if someone was only going to read one, this is the one I would point them to, and I think it's very lay accessible, um, meaning from people from a variety of backgrounds will be able to track it. Um, I've done Bible classes on it, and it's people were heart, able to it's track It's the heart of the gospel and the Christian life. So Right. So I would encourage you to, to check it out. Um, it is available in Luther's works. The American edition was at volume 31, Mike. Is mm -hmm. that right? Um, and volume 31 is just a good volume, by the way. That's not a, If you're looking for a volume to get, if you don't have the complete set, um, that is not a bad volume to get into start with. Um, in the meanwhile, very excited uh, to be getting a little back on track, getting stuff out regularly again, hopefully. Um, we had graduation here at the college, which meant we had the close of the semester, finals week, a ton of grading. 
Um, Peter and I both had children who were confirmed, um, and the work Peter and Ben do with the end of the school year, uh, this keeps them busy as well as they do tech with schools. So it has been crazy. We got a little bit behind. Um, we love the podcast. It's something we do, and we, we really enjoy the conversation, and it's uh, something we want to keep doing and do well. Um, but it's definitely avocational, right? It comes after some of the other uh, um, things to which God has called us in this life. Uh, but we hope with the summer now to be able to get back on track. We're looking forward to getting some more guests in. Hopefully some of the faculty will now be more available too. Um, we have some colleagues who we really have been itching to get on. Um, and with the semester wrapped up, we're hoping we can kind of um, lasso some of them. Do I mean that uh, figuratively or do we really want to just in the quad? Uh, there's a few that may need to, we may need to do it literally because they've been saying no forever. Yeah, so we'll keep working on them. But we thank you for listening. We thank you for bearing with us. Um, and we hope that uh, even though summer in Wisconsin has not been coming yet, um, it's now raining out again. Um, I think it, it rains at least every other day, it seems like now so far. Um, that We hope wherever you are, you're enjoying the summer or at least what is um, claiming to be summer. And that uh, with Luther, with all Christians who know their freedom in Christ, you will join us in uh, letting the bird fly. Every evening when the sun goes down, get my party and I begin to cry. I don't care what the people are thinking. I'm not drunk, I'm just a tank. I set him up another round. I set him up another round. I set him up. Another round, one more round won't get me down. Came home last night, all full of lush. My babe began to fuss, and I said, Honey, honey, I don't care what people are thinking. I'm not drunk.